here. Let's open it in prayer. Father, we thank you for allowing us to meet here today. We pray that you would give us ears to hear and a, <clears throat> a knowledge of just how much you do love us. Uh, place within us, Lord, a desire uh, to see the lost come to repentance through your precious and mighty gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't know, Irene, but that was such a blessing. Wow. Um, <clears throat> Romans 10.13 says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings and good things. Just a little survey. I know most of the people are gone here today. Uh, how many people have been taking the evangelism studies series at the church here? And, and that's good. That's good. Um, another question. How many people have shared or attempted to share, Wally, attempted to share the gospel with somebody in the last week or two? Just show of hands. Okay, good. Uh, that's actually, that's fantastic. Um, uh, for those of you that have done so, uh, come and see me afterwards. I, at the front, I have a little something for you, okay? Um, but on a side note, um, don't ever discourage someone when they are sharing the gospel. Even if you don't like the way they're doing it, don't discourage them. Because, you know, I've heard people complain about how, uh, you know, oh, I don't like it how, you know, these guy's always talking about Jesus, this guy. Or that girl, man, she can't stop, you know, sharing her faith with people. And the, what's crazy is that the people that complain are usually never sharing their faith anyway. So with that being said, today we're going to be looking at how uh, Peter evangelized. So if you have an issue with this, talk to Peter about it. Okay? My prayer is that this is going to motivate us to either uh, begin evangelizing or it will encourage those that have already been evangelizing and, and doing what the Lord had commanded them to do. He's commanded us to go and uh, reach the lost. So as we're about to see, there are several things that we need to address when we evangelize. And depending on the person that you're speaking with, you may have to use a different assortment of tools. These different tools are used to get the message across. Peter primarily evangelized to those that were familiar with the Scriptures. In fact, those that were familiar with Jesus of Nazareth. In comparison... Uh, Paul, he primarily went to the Gentile nations that were worshipping pagan gods. So we need to understand that they had to relate to their audience in a different way. But without exception, it was always law to the proud and grace to the humble. Because the Bible says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And if someone is too proud to need God, then they need to hear the law of God. 
Because the law, the Bible says, is a schoolmaster that brings us to Christ. And when someone is, is humble, when they have this broken and a contrite spirit, then they are ready to hear about the wonderful grace of God. So there isn't that one thing that works for just everybody. That would be like me telling uh, Jim, you know, Jim, uh, when you're building a home, you can only use a reciprocating saw. Okay? I don't want you to use any drills, no hammers. Forget about the nails. We like to tear down homes before we build them up here. Or that would be like saying to, uh, uh, to Trevor, from now on, Trevor, um, you can only use a grease gun. There's no other tools, no wrenches. In fact, don't even open that hood. Because, you know what? If you open the hood, you might offend the people that own it. So we just want you to deal with the squeaky stuff on the outside. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 2 today. In the opening chapter of Genesis, we read that on the first day of creation, the Spirit of God moved as a wind over the face of the waters, and God, with His awesome power, He created light, and the light was good. On the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God came as a rushing mighty wind from heaven. God created the church, and the church was good. So in the book of Acts, we find 120 disciples, they were gathered together in Jerusalem, and they were waiting for the Comforter to come. Jesus said that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit would come upon them. He said that they would be witnesses in Jerusalem. That's where they were. In all of Judea. That's the people and the cities all around them. He said, and in Samaria. That's the people that they didn't even want to associate with before they were saved. And he said, and on to the uttermost part of the earth. In other words, you're going to take that mall and you're going to repeat it over and over again. And now the time had finally come when this promise would be fulfilled. And there were all types of people here on this day. God had orchestrated it in such a way that they would be all converging here because many of them were seeking God. And God knew that he had 120 faithful servants in this place. I found that was a powerful and yet a convicting thought. Because think about it. If one local person was seeking God, would God orchestrate it in such a way that he would guide them to us? The first part of Acts chapter 2, the Bible describes people that came from all different areas, places like Mesopotamia, Pontus, Asia, Egypt, uh, many others. The disciples were filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. And these uneducated Galileans, they miraculously began to speak out loud in languages they had never spoken before. They spoke of the mighty works of God so that all these people groups can hear and understand in their own native language. 
And again, as much as we might sort them into all these different categories, they trickle down into two different groups. Those that were seeking and those that were mocking. Some, were, some of these people were sincerely interested in what was going on here. Others said, ah, they're just a bunch of drunks. Don't worry about them. But unlike before, Peter is now speaking with a boldness that is grounded in his Savior and not in himself. He opens up with a clarifying statement. He says, these men are not drunk. See, he didn't sit idly by and let the mockers detract from what God was doing. Because this was a movement from God. You know, the mockers, they always try to draw people away from the truth. At the same time, he didn't waste an excessive amount of time and energy with them. He was not trying to fit in or to be a people pleaser. He was there to address those that were actually seeking the truth. That's who he was concerned with. So he quoted prophetic scripture from the book of Joel. And Peter was able to do this because he had already hidden God's word in his heart. And therefore, God was able to bring it up again when he needed it. Also, Peter submitted himself to the Lord. And he made himself fully available to be used by God the Father. You know, people that share the gospel will oftentimes make this statement. They'll say, you know, as I'm sharing the gospel, it was the weirdest thing. It was all these uh, verses were just popping in my head and I was able to share them. It's not like I went out of my way to memorize them, but they were there. And if you share the gospel, you know what I'm talking about. And those that were listening to Peter speak here, they were familiar with the scriptures. Like I said, he primarily went to those that were familiar with the scriptures. And they knew the promises of God. But more importantly, the Holy Spirit was drawing them. He was drawing the seekers. He was confirming in them that what Peter was saying was actually true. One of the first things that Peter did is he wanted to make sure that they understood who Jesus really was. He began by addressing what they already know about Jesus. Acts 2, verse 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. So before someone can profess faith in Jesus, they need to have a proper understanding of who Jesus of Nazareth really is. Because there are many versions of Jesus. Even at this time, he specified Jesus of Nazareth. They knew who he was talking about. Today we have a lot of different versions of Jesus that are being taught. And people need to understand that Jesus was the promised Savior that would come and take away the sin of the world. They need to understand that unlike other men, he was born sinless, which was made possible by the virgin birth. 
Otherwise, he's a descendant of Adam and he's incurred Adam's sin. And because the Christ child was placed in Mary's womb without an earthly father, he was righteous without sin. He was therefore perfect. He, being from the beginning of time, condescended into time to dwell among men. He lived a perfect and he lived a sinless life in thought, word, and deed. And God the Father had done miracles, wonders, and signs by him. And he did it in the midst of these very people. So they were familiar with Jesus. Peter continued to teach them and he expounded the Old Testament prophecies. The prophecies of David. And he did it in context because context is king. And he expounded them to those that would listen. Look at 25 through 30. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life, Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. Peter addresses the fact that Jesus was the very Lord that David spoke about. He was in fact God the Son. And the information is not complicated, but it's quite necessary. Because many people, many people have uh, the historical information. I, I used to have the historical information. So I'm speaking from first-hand experience. They know many things about Jesus. They, the problem is not what they do know, though. The problem is what they don't know. See, knowing that Jesus was born of a virgin in Bethlehem, uh, knowing that he died on a cross, or that he was resurrected, or that you believe in him, these things, if they are not understood correctly, they will not save you. See, it's written in James 2.19, You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Demons cannot be saved. So just having some details about Jesus will not save someone. And as direct as he was, Peter wasn't really concerned about you know, who he might offend by digging into their beliefs. He kept speaking. You know, some assume that those that believe in God or Jesus, they shouldn't be questioned about their faith. That's like, hey, let's keep that hood closed, let's not look under the hood. But let me tell you this. If their faith is on shaky ground because someone is asking them questions about their faith, maybe their faith isn't on the rock of salvation. Maybe it's on the sand of works righteousness. 
Think of the boldness that God the Holy Spirit had given to Peter in order to address these people the way that he did. This was bold. You know, all too often I hear Christians say, say this, and I think this myself. You know, I'm not bold enough to share the gospel with someone. But the thing we need to understand is that those that share the gospel, they aren't necessarily super comfortable doing it. Nevertheless, they do it. Because one, they love Jesus. And two, they value the souls of people. And like Jesus, they aren't willing that any should perish. Those that are willing to trust Jesus to take that step of obedience, the Holy Spirit will empower them and they'll get through it. It reminds me of Joshua chapter 3. When the priests carried the ark and they came to the Jordan River, they obeyed God because God said, you have to step into the river. So before God parted the waters, they had to take the first step. Once he did that first step, God parted the waters. And if you want to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, I can tell you that if you are a Christian and you go out today and share the gospel with somebody, you are going to be filled to overflowing. Because part of the Holy Spirit's ministry is to bring glory to Christ. And if you've shared the gospel, uh, or if, I should say, if you've never shared the gospel, you won't understand what I'm talking about. But if you have, I hardly even have to explain this and you know exactly what I'm talking about. In Matthew 5.14 we read, You are the light of the world. It says, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel. We've all sung the song. But we put it on a candlestick and it gives light to all that are in the house. So the second thing Peter did or had to do was to show them in light of Scripture who they were. Verse 23. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. These people need to understand that they were guilty sinners before a righteous God. They were guilty of shedding the blood of Jesus, the Son of God. And by doing so, their sin was not only against Jesus of Nazareth, it was against God himself. And when David sinned with Bathsheba, he sinned against Uriah. But he came to understand that ultimately, he sinned against God. He said, against you and you only have I done this sin and this evil in your sight. You know, I've never met someone that had a hard time admitting they were a sinner. Because as they're saying it, they're still comparing themselves to someone else that's worse than them. You know, sure, I'm a sinner, but that guy's really bad. They'll say, yeah, yeah, I've sinned, but I've cleaned myself up and now I'm trying to do as much good as I can. The Bible says only a fool compares himself with others. And that's why Peter took the time to show them that God doesn't compare us to other people. He doesn't grade us on a curve. He compares us to his righteous standard. And the Ten Commandments, that's his righteous standard. God is the author of the law, and therefore all who sin do so against God. 
And the Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And there's nothing hidden from God because he sees everything. If you want to get even more specific, Peter tells them that they were guilty of crucifying Jesus. Even though they hadn't physically taken the spike and driven it in his hand, or been the judge that sent him off, they were still guilty. We need to help people understand that their sin is like the wicked hand that crucified Jesus. Otherwise, they're going to be proud and arrogant. Not broken and contrite before a holy and a just God. The third thing Peter did, had, he had to do, was address the consequence of sin. Verse 34, For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he said himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. So Peter points out that this psalm cannot be speaking of King David, obviously because David is dead and buried here. And the psalm speaks prophetically about Jesus. And Peter, he leaves no doubt about who Jesus is. He's the Lord God Almighty. I mean, he's going to make them his footstool. The God that measures the universe with a span of his hand. And everyone was going to have to give an account to him on the day that they die. The Bible says that the consequences of sin is death and hell. And that's why it's of the utmost importance that we have to have people that understand who Jesus is. He's not the God of a religious system. Because when 80% of the population says they believe in Jesus, but most of them say that they're good enough to get to heaven, that should kind of raise a big red flag to us. Because if you're a Christian, the way the Bible describes a Christian you understand that you are not good enough to get to heaven. Heaven is not filled with good people. Heaven is filled with wretched sinners that have been forgiven by a wonderful, awesome, gracious God. And when the people that Peter was speaking here, when they finally came to a proper understanding that they were guilty before a holy God, Peter told them in verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. So he explained that not only is Jesus the one you sinned against, he's actually the one that's going to judge you in the end. Which leads us to the fourth thing that Peter addressed. He addressed the crucifixion, including atonement, substitutionary death, resurrection. See, 50 days prior to Pentecost, these people, they had offered a sacrifice for a temporary covering for their sin. These people would do this year after year. They knew that the Messiah would come and take away their sin and he would make things right with God. In fact, they looked forward to it and they celebrated it during the Passover meal. But what they didn't realize was that the Messiah would himself become that perfect, sinless sacrifice. The shedding of his his precious blood would not only just cover sins, it would actually wash them away once and for all. 
And as Peter was expounding the Scriptures and the Holy Spirit was working in their hearts, remember, the Spirit was working in them. They would conclude that Jesus took their sin upon Himself, which was needed. Because the Bible teaches that it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. And he quantifies his statement by pointing out what over 500 people had already witnessed. The resurrection. Peter taught that the work of salvation was approved by God the Father because Jesus was resurrected. Death could not hold him. Verse 24, Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. He also taught them that the resurrection, it wasn't a new concept. It was prophesied in the Old Testament through David. He, verse 34, speaking of David here, seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. And the result of Peter taking the time to rightly divide the word and to expound it to his listeners becomes very apparent in verse 37. Verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Remember how just a few weeks before this time, Peter had pulled out his sword and he tried to change somebody's mind by cutting off part of their head? Okay. So now, instead of pulling out a physical sword... Peter pulls out the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And he cuts them to the heart. And it was only when the Gospel was preached that the conviction was able to come through the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit must be working in the sinner. And convincing them in order to have their heart ready so that they could accept the gospel. Notice also that when Peter spoke with these people, they didn't argue with him about what the scriptures said, which is another clue that they were truly seeking. They agreed with him because they wanted to know the truth. They now knew that they were actually responsible for the death of Jesus, And they were compelled to do something about it. They said, what do we need to do? Now they were ready to be converted. And the fact that thousands of people were ready to be converted, it has nothing to do with the eloquence of Peter. It has to do with the work of the Holy Spirit. See, Peter had simply made himself available. We need to ask ourselves, am I making myself available for God to use me? Peter was a continual witness through his actions and his speech, not just on this day, but on every day. It wasn't something he turned on or off. And before the Lord brought these people so that Peter could share the gospel with them, Peter had to take that step of obedience open his mouth and actually say something. He preached, Jesus crucified, he explained why he had to die this way. You know, he didn't assume that they were saved just because they were religious. 
He preached Christ. What they did with the information was up to them. And now they were ready for repentance and faith, which is the final thing that Peter addressed. Verse 38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourself from this untoward generation. You know, people get confused with the word repent. You know, some people say, oh, it means you turn away from sin. But you can't expect to turn away from sin into a self-help program or some other form of get better scheme. Like the Bible says, the dog returns to his vomit. Others say that, you know, you have to turn to God. So, in other words, you can live like the world and still be a follower of Jesus. But biblical repentance is actually two sides of the same coin. On one hand, you are turning to God, but also in doing so, you are turning away from the sin that He hates. The sin you used to love, it, it, now it's, it's not so lovely anymore. And the God that you used to fear has now become your Savior. And your love for sin, it fades away as you grow in the love for the Lord. Because he first loved you. You know, faith in Jesus is another term uh, that people get confused with. It's not some mystical elixir. It's not just believing that Jesus is real. It's a steadfast belief in the Apostles' doctrine. For example, the doctrine we just looked at. Doctrine is just another word for teach, teaching. Who's the real Jesus? Where do we stand in light of God's word? What's the consequence of sin? The death, burial, resurrection. Repent and believe. You know, Peter explained the gospel to those that were truly seeking. Those that were truly seeking were actually softened to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And the result of sharing the gospel in this way, it bears good fruit. Look at verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. So straight away, they were happy to be baptized. You know, they wanted to demonstrate their obedience to Jesus. They... Uh, understood that baptism, it wasn't something they did to earn favor with God. It was an outward expression of something that had already happened in them. And it happened after their salvation. In fact, some of the people here were proselytes, which means that they had been baptized in the past when they had uh, converted to the Jewish faith. But now that they were saved from sin and death, they were baptized again. Because... They want to show the world that they were buried with Christ and they were resurrected, resurrected in newness of life. And these people that once disliked and even hated Jesus and the disciples, they now love them. 
And they were part of this new church. Your enemy has become your friend. And it says that every day they got together in fellowship to study the doctrine, to break bread, and to pray. And that's how Peter evangelized. You can read more about his accounts in Acts chapter 2 and 10. You know, but maybe you're here today and you thought originally that you were going to just slide on by and make it to heaven. But now you're thinking, okay, this is new to me. I'm not too sure that if I die today that heaven would actually be my home anymore. You know, if you're thinking that uh, you're a pretty good person and that uh, God will allow you to come to heaven because... You're not that bad because you do a lot of good things. In fact, you might even be the kind of person that helps out at the church. Jesus said, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and in your name have cast out devils and in your name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that works iniquity. See, there's only one way to heaven. And it's through Jesus as he's described in the Bible. With that being said, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. Because the 3,000 that turned to Jesus on that day, they didn't necessarily have a complete and thorough understanding of absolutely everything. You know, a one-day-old Christian will not have the same understanding as somebody that's been a Christian for 30 years, obviously. But they believe in those things that they do understand. And if they are truly converted, they're going to continue to grow in their faith and in their knowledge. And as the 3,000 people here, as they continue in the Apostles' Doctrine, they also grew in faith and understanding. And they never stopped believing. So if God is stirring your heart, you need to come to Him now. Don't put it off. Don't assume. If He's stirring your heart, it's for a reason. You ask Jesus to save you from your sin. You confess Him as Lord and Savior, and then you can say with us, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Father, what a kind and a gracious Father you are. And thank you, Lord, for loving us and demonstrating your love towards us by sending your precious Son, your Son who took our sin upon Himself and took our punishment that we deserve. Lord, thank You for giving us the Holy Spirit so that we can glorify Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord, we want to make ourselves available for Your use. 
We want to share the gospel with those that have yet to ask Jesus to be their Savior. Father, I pray that we would be fruitful and bring glory to the name of Jesus. Amen.